The following conversation is with CEO Anthony Kellum of Kellum Mortgage. He gave some insight on entrepreneurship, the mortgage industry, and real estate. He gave some great advice to not only me, but also future graduates of college. I hope you enjoy this, and thank you, Smokey Shed, for allowing us to have a conversation within your store. Smokey Shed is located in Canton, and they sell phenomenal cigars. Hi, my name is Mike, and this is Real Estate in 10. The views and opinions provided in this video are for informational purposes only and should not be construed an offer to buy or sell any securities and or make or consider any investment or course of action. Hi, my name is Mike. This is Real Estate in 10. Uh, I want to introduce a special guest today. I think he is by far one of the most professional individuals, but also um, just a, a true, just a huge heart. So um, his name is Anthony Kellum. Uh, I, you know, I met him a, a few years ago, and uh, he's completely wowed me every single time uh, I've had a chance to have a conversation with him. So I wanted to bring him on the podcast um, and have him just talk a little bit about his his life life experience, and then uh, you know we'll we'll head more into uh, real estate as well as the mortgage side as well. But he is the CEO of uh, Kellum Mortgage. His name is Anthony Kellum. Uh, so. Hi, Anthony. How are you? How you doing, Mike? Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. <laughs> it's great to see you in this professional format. You know, it's, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So, uh, you know, I like to start off every podcast kind of just saying, you know, who you are. You know, who do you want to? Who do you want to? Uh, you know, who's your main target? Right? Who's your main audience? Who's your clientele? And and uh, we'll go from there. Yeah. So um, I've been in business since uh, 1995. Uh, so I've, I've been around the block. I've been through the good times, the bad times, and back and forth again. So I, I think that has given me a broad perspective on how to help people um, who are looking to refinance or looking to buy their house. And one of your questions was, like, what am I focusing on? I'm really focusing on that entrepreneurial bower right now, that self-employed bower right now. Um, I think it's a unique time in our country with everything with COVID and people working from home and Uber drivers, and and as you know, the self-employed market, in particular to the un, in, in particular to the mortgage industry, is very underserved. So I am trying to fill that market in that in, in that regard. So I think the interesting perspective of that is uh, the why, the why behind that. So why step towards that market? Well, I mean, I think like uh, I'm passionate about entrepreneurs you know I've been one my entire life and I understand the in impediments that most self-employed people have when, when we talk about access to credit uh, tax returns and what do you declare what do you show uh, and when you talk about the new movement right now that we have and I want to be that guy that can help pull them through based on my experiences being an entrepreneur and, and my difficulties of finding out where the money is and how to structure my companies and what lenders I should go to to make it a lot easier for uh, uh, these entrepreneurs today. Right. I, th I think one of the, a lot of the major speed bumps or the mountains to climb for an entrepreneur is not only just to create a company and create zero to, you know, to one. It's also a lot of entrepreneurs are so involved in their companies. They don't necessarily think about, you know, buying a home or the necessary steps to buy a home. And what could you say or what would be the number one um, thing that you would mention to an entrepreneur if they're thinking about creating a business but also in that path 
what would you tell them? If, if an entrepreneur were sitting right next to you, what would you say? I would say, I mean, um, what I've discovered is that uh, a lot of entrepreneurs and self-employed people are more successful than they think. They're generating more capital than they than they realize in terms of buying a house, you know. Um, but, you know, they're good at their business. They're good at getting business, good at being strategic in their business and how to send that business out and, and market that business. But tax returns and those type of things are a struggle. You know, bringing the right CPA in and accounting, working with the right bank, those can be a, be a struggle. And so one of the programs we have is a bank statement only program. And I, and I absolutely love that program. I know there's been some talk about 2008 and the industry is getting a little bit, um, uh, you know, shifty. And will we will this take us back into a 2008, 2009 episode? And I, I really disagree with that. And, and the reason for that is that things are now documented where before you can say any number on an application, you can make up any job, you can do no income. And it was just like the wild, wild west, and that hurt us in a lot of regards. Um, today, you actually have to, we have to actually look at your bank statements. You know, we can look at 12 months, we can look at 24 months. And we don't care what goes out, we don't care about your expenses, we just care about what's, what's being deposited. And there's a calculation that is used for that, which is uh, we can take 50% of your revenue and, and use that as your income. And then we can also, if you if your expenses are less than 50%, you know, just have your CPA give us a letter explaining what your expenses are. Is it 20%? Is it 10%? So it's just it's just a, a program that's really flexible and opportunistic for, for self-employed people. I absolutely love it. I've been doing a great job with it. And I've had people that have solid tax returns, but it's so easy that is, hey, Kellum, I see you, man, you know, 12-month bank statements. It's just easy, you know. Um, so that's 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 a program I think that it's better now, and it's, I would say, it's better, you know, it's redesigned since 2008, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. I think my last podcast, I was, or it's like every six months I try to do a podcast where I'm, I'm measuring, there's certain variables that I have to uh, measure in terms of the health of the local economy, especially with real estate. And I, I completely agree with you. In 2008, all you had to essentially do was fog a mirror. And now I, I think we are in a situation where there's, we have so, uh, the borrower as well as the lender have so many different, I don't want to say backstops, there's just for lack of a better way to say it, but there's so many backstops, so many different ways to be creative um, so that we don't have another 08, right? Another 2012, an 08, a 10, right? And so kind of pivoting to looking at it from a perspective of the last great recession, you know, 08, all the way back, you know, to even 2016, we were lagging behind all the way till then. Um, are there things, any pitfalls that you foresee, but also is there anything you want to touch on in terms of kind of comparing the two scenarios from then till now? Well, I think I've been critical a little bit of uh, the mortgage industry. I, I personally think that they threw the baby out with the bathwater. But it's all to protect the consumers and have us be at our highest and best use. So I, I get that. And But one of the things as the market has changed with Uber drivers and working from home and the gig economy, the industry is, has adapted that. And to their credit, they have said, hey, these archaic or uh, mortgage programs that we're offering aren't really all inclusive or flexible to a large segment of our economy. You know, like, you know. 
there are a lot of mom and pop shops out there. There are a lot of self-employed businesses out there, you know. Uh, according to Upwork, there are 50 million self-employed borrowers. That, that's self-employed workers. That's a huge number. Um, 36% of our workforce is self-employed borrowers. That's, that's huge. That's massive. Uh, the, the Census Bureau stated the other day that 10 million, there were 10 million new businesses created in the last two years. 10 million. So how do we service that? You know, some are Uber drivers, some are Lyft drivers, some are you know freelance workers, some have W-2 income, and they take that W income and put it with that. So I think these new, pro- I compliment the industry for looking at that and making those pivots to provide uh, information to people. And my job is to get that information out to potential home buyers and investors, you know, say, hey, you know, here are some options for you. Mm-hmm. And so just to make sure I'm on the same page, the client, so the client in 08 is not the client of today. And the reason behind that is because there are so many different avenues for a person to be an entrepreneur. And do you feel like the, on a macro aspect, the mortgage industry has been creative enough to service those types of clients? So I'll give you an example. Uber, there was no such thing as Uber in 2008, but there's an Uber now. And do you feel like the industry has lagged behind on being providing that type of service? I, I would say um, yes. Uh, I would I would say definitely yes. But I also say that the industry recognize that they need to make an adjustment, and, and that's what they're doing currently. Like you mentioned, Uber driver was around 2008. So 1099 income, we can use that. Um, so it's like these are these are the things to say. Hey, how can we put a viable product out there that's not going to collapse our industry? Um, um, because everyone don't have tax returns or solid tax returns, but they have great cash flow, you know. So I, I think that uh, two, you know, a lot of smart people looked at that 2008 marketplace and said, "It moves slowly, move with caution, rightfully so, maybe at the detriment of the market at some point." But they did make the the changes. So a lot of lenders and underwriters that we sell to um, are adding these type of products to their program, and that comes after being great, you know, vetting these programs and making sure that they're sustainable and that they're fair and that they're not, uh, you know, falsely um, advertised or falsely documented on the 1003. You know, things have to be verified and underwritten or due diligence has to happen where before 2008 it was just like hey you could have been making twenty thousand dollars and buy a five hundred thousand dollar house just because you said your income was i don't know 150,000 200,000 a year you know not the case you can't do that anymore so do you think necessarily the client is aware of how creative the mortgage industry is so it seems like as an entrepreneur there was life lessons that possibly they got it from their parents or from previous or even, you know, a weight situation. They got their hand slapped back then. As an entrepreneur now, I don't necessarily see a lot of entrepreneurs understand or know or even aware of the type of creativity that the mortgage industry uh, or how creative the mortgage industry has become. Yeah, absolutely. I think that there is a um, you know old um, mindset out there with you know 
twenty percent down and that type of that type of deal and seven to fifty FICO scores. I mean, now you can you know look at you know six hundred FICO scores, five eighty FICO scores. Uh, maybe you put a little more money down. Uh, maybe you disclose uh, more assets. But it's definitely a, a a program now where it's evolved and it's more like water is not fixed. If you don't fit this box, you can't get in that box. That's that's not the case anymore. Mm-hmm. And you're seeing a lot of lenders, or you are you are able yourself. Let's say from your perspective, you are you are able because of the tools that you have in front of you. You are able to be. Uh, you are able to get to your client into the finish line a little smoother than you were able to, let's just say, in 1999, hypothetically. Let's just say hypothetically. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like if you look at uh, investors that buy that have rental income, mm-hmm. rental houses, you know, all we need now is just the rental income. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't need the tax returns. We don't need this. We don't need that. All your schedule E's. We don't need that anymore. We just need clearly a lease agreement. Um, we also have um, the appraisal do a market, go out there and do the appraisal. But also give us what is the market rents for that area, and we take the lower of the two. Um, so that's kind of a protection angle in there uh, to make sure that the deal is going to be sustainable. So if you got ten properties or twenty properties and you want to pull, you know, money out of those, or you want to buy them, we can do up to twenty properties at one time. Uh, with uh, if you own them and try to pull cash out, you're looking at a one-to-one debt service ratio. You know, if it's if it's not rented out yet, we're looking at a one point Five, uh, excuse me, one point one five debt service ratio. So, um, you know, these are awesome, awesome programs for people who dab in real estate, uh, looking to buy real estate and set up, you know, their own Airbnb type properties. That's very popular now, and so these type of products allow for that type of entrepreneurial growth and creativity. So, looking at the historical perspective, and if you have to just block off, you know, since the nineteen ninety nine. Moving forward, uh, you know, a third, a third, a third. Let's just say the '90s or the boom of you know 2000s. Let's just say to you have the 08 recession, and then you have right now. If you examine all three, are there any parallels to what you see? And also, are there things not only from the financing side? Are there things that are that you can raise an eyebrow? So if we go back to 2008, I, you know, I was president at one time of Mortgage Brokers Association. I was very heavily involved in our industry. I did a lot of business, and I was blindsided, um, and, and and it took me years to figure out why. And a lot of that was how we were packaging and our deals and how we were selling them. So like there was a there were things that were going out, and I think the mortgage broker, per se. Um, um, took a lot of that hit unjustly when I think it was like Wall Street packaging up mortgage-backed securities and selling those securities as something that they weren't. And I think that contributed to the collapse in the marketplace. For example, taking um, a stated income loan and selling it as if it was an income loan, you know, those type of things, you know. Uh, and you you got investors buying that paper, you know, I think uh, uh, thinking they're getting one thing and they're not. And I think that really was really, of course, there were some bad actors out there and, and, uh, with banks and bad actors out there with mortgage brokers. There's bad actors everywhere. But that doesn't mean that you, you paint with a broad stroke. But I do think there needs to be more focus on what, and I'm just going to call it Wall Street did, to impact the market. 
Um, so when I look at it, uh, when I look at the market today, I think that it's a better market, a solid market than it was back then. I mean, those were some of my best times. I mean, I um, prior to 08, those were some of my my best times. I mean, in America in general, when you look at the, when you look at from an economy perspective, when you look at uh, after that, you look at the housing crisis, the crash of the housing market, and also with the car industry, they, they basically collapsed at the same time. I mean, people losing equity, losing their job. It was it was a it was a mess out there, and 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 I was part of that. You know, when we when the market collapsed, that really hurt my business. I mean, we went. Um, I mean, we didn't hit rock bottom. We hit below rock bottom. You know, we had to climb out of that somehow, and it was very depressing. It was very sad. But you know, like the, one of the great things about America is that as long as you keep fighting and you keep trying, you know, you can pull yourself up. You can move forward. Uh, it, it took us a while to turn the market. Now we're licensed in two two markets. We're licensed in Georgia. We're licensed in Michigan, and our business is targeted to you know my 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 niche is more focused on that self employed buyer. And um, what did you learn most, either about yourself or about business? When you, you you got tired for that, I learned like <laughs> you know. Listen, man, when you when you're making money and you're doing well, you got a lot of friends, you know. Um, and when you're not, you don't have a lot of friends. And, and even even banks, institutions, you know, you got banks coming at you, and then you don't have those banks anymore. And you really can't run a business without having a, a strong banking partner. Um, um, you know, if you can't have access to capital, it's you're you're really you know it's really going to be rough for you. You know, so. Uh, my takeaway now is, um, you know, pace myself, do uh, deals that I believe in, help people become homeowners in an in a, in a equitable, sustainable way. Um, and I'm confident with every customer that I sit down with uh, that, you know, they're going to be here for the long haul. Uh, we don't do deals where people are buying more than they need or more than they can afford uh, that, they, that, you were, that people were doing back in 08. You know, in that time frame, or seven, or six, or nine, we don't we don't do those type of deals, and they're hard to do now. You have to have this is one of the things that's good. You have to be able to is this good for the borrower type deal? And some of the compliance, it's it's too much. It's it's, it's a lot. You know, I mean, it's it's heavily uh, compliance, so very similar to a bank, and I guess that's good. Because that gives me the conf the confidence to move and trust these programs that we're doing, uh, even at the Wall Street level, packaging them up and selling them type stuff. There's a lot of, you know, the, the whole industry, so to speak, has been overhauled for for the betterment of uh, for the country and the betterment of uh, the home buyer. I mean, loan officers now, like to give you an example, loan officers back in '08 didn't have to be licensed. You can get anybody off the street and come in and sit down and talk to somebody about the American dream. So now that that person is, has to be licensed, the, the individual company has to have a license. So and there's due diligence all the way along the way. So it, people just can't come in our industry anymore and set up shop. So, you know, so part of that has made it more professional, you know, more lean and weed out um, the bad actors. You know, it's very difficult to perform as a bad actor in our industry today. Yeah. And I know, I'm sure, you know, uh, so 
I think it's Teddy Roosevelt. Could be wrong. Uh, but uh, and I'm paraphrasing here. It's uh, history doesn't repeat itself, but it sure does rhyme. Um, now that you have the experience, uh, gosh, over twenty some odd years of experience, um, maybe even more. <laughs> um, yeah, thank you for that. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's about yeah. thirty-two years now. Thirty-two, thirty-two years. Goodness gracious. So, uh, so you know, over thirty years of experience, thirty-two years of experience. You look at it from you know you, you look at history, but you also look at uh, where you you try your best to look around the corner faster than everybody else, right? So you try your best to educate all your clients, but also you try your best to look around the corner as as best as you can. Do you see? And of course, you can armchair quarterback. We can. I'm sure when the other the other shoe drops, we're gonna of course say, "Of that's it. That was the reason why." That of course everybody could see it. Writing was on the wall. But do you see anything around the corner that you would you would raise an eyebrow with? So I'm very optimistic. It's my personality. Um, you know, our whole slogan is property is power. And, and what that means is that home ownership is the key to American dream, right? And, I'm, I, and I know I, I'm going to get to your question. So owning a home is a good thing. You know, people who own homes go to college, more likely to go to college more likely to pay their taxes, their property taxes, more likely to be stakeholders, you know. Um, and, and, and for a lot of us, it's a place where we can transfer our equity, transfer our property, send kids to college. So uh, it's something we have to uh, protect that. We have to. Because that, to me, uh, when I was a kid, my dad was like, you know, own a house. I knew when I went going off to college and graduating college that I was going to be a homeowner one day. And those are the kind of things that I want to pass along to the to your listening audience is that I know they're making really pretty buildings right now that people are leasing and renting, but home ownership is where it's at. Um, as I look, you know, kind of uh, at what the market is doing today, I mean, as you know, people are selling properties and getting forty and 50000 above asking price, and there's this bidding war. And is that sustainable? No. But I do, I do not think that that is a, 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 a turn that into a crash market. You know, um, you know, I don't think that when people stop getting above what they want and maybe they get what they want or a little bit be, uh, below that, to me, I look at that as still a healthy market for some time. And I read a lot of reports, and, and people just seem to have um, this, I don't know what it is, this fear factor. You know, uh, you know, like, um, how long are we going to be able to get 50000 above? The market's going to crash. Well, just because you're not getting 50000 above, as an example of asking price, doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with the market that is not healthy. So it's nothing wrong getting what you're, at, what you're asking for, right? Um, so, yeah, well, would this affect maybe appraisals a little bit? Yeah, a little bit, but... I don't think that it's going to be something that's detrimental to the market as a whole, you know. And as you look at the market, and this is why some of these new programs are becoming more and more viable, and uh, uh, this self-employed bank statement only program and the lease only pro, it's a way to keep up with some of the changing dynamics in the marketplace, giving people more options and, and more choices to become homeowners. Yeah. So the the message there absolutely is. That lenders, uh, I don't want to say, let's just say now, or just right now, I can't compare prior before, 
But uh, lenders now are so they are being able to play pickup basketball than ever before. They're being able to be creative with any type of, um, you know, with an, with an, any type of clientele. So I think that's the number one thing to take away from here is that um, you're able to maneuver, you know, within the bounds, the moral yeah, bounds, in a safe way, in a safe way than ever before. And so, and I, I think it absolutely it's because of we didn't have the Ubers back then, right? We have the Ubers now. We have so many different the gig economy than we never had before. So, absolutely, I agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the uh, the world has changed um, in a lot of ways since two thousand eight. Uh, people are working from home. People are more entrepreneurial. People are taking risks, and um, our industry, the mortgage industry, has looked at that and said, okay. You know, we need to expand and be more creative in a in a in a safe way. Yeah, and I and to speak more. So a lot of the uh, the perception is uh, not particularly my clientele, but the perception out there is that you know the the bottom's going to fall out from the real estate industry. And I I think we're both in agreement where I don't necessarily see that just because of when you look at the factors and the data behind everything and the simple rule of supply and demand is still it's still evident right it's it's the anchor the epitome of of what's going on right now is the the lack of inventory and I, i've said this multiple podcasts ago but you're looking at it from a standpoint uh, an average or an average market is four to six months of uh homes available on the market uh we're at you know under two months so the supply and demand rule still does apply now in terms of are the rates being increased is there anything that you noticed uh, with the rates being just bumped up slightly, a couple basis points? Have you noticed anything, a difference in um, are the, the buyers uh, pulling out of their pocketbooks more often? Are you noticing any changes, debt-to-income ratio being uh, sporadically changed? Is there anything that you would want to touch on that? Well, um, that's, a, that's an excellent question. And, and yes, I, w- I would say definitely like rates – affect affordability, um, you know, and what people can afford to buy for the most part. But rates, historically, man, they have been ridiculously low. And I think um, to a fault, um, potential home buyers and refinancers have been sitting on the market waiting for the rates to go to zero or 1%. I don't, I don't know what it is. There's people out there like that. Um, but, you know, there are expanded debt ratios, you know. Like, you know, you know you've got your classic 2836 debt ratio, but you can go up to 45% on the back end on some of these loans. You can go up to 50%. It's just got to make sense, and it's got to be in a situation where it's helping the borrower. Um, but rates are going up dramatically. Uh, um, you know, they are. Um, but, you know, some of these uh, uh, niche programs, I like to call them, rates are going to be higher than, say, your traditional 30-year conventional loan, um, but, but, not a, but not a game changer. You know, not a game changer. So, uh, but rates are creeping up, and I, you know, I got a borrower I've been talking to for a while, and you know, she's reading these reports, and the rates are, you know, creeping up. I locked her in. I just locked her in. I ended up locking her in at four and a half, and I'm glad I did it. And you know, you know, you have to educate your borrowers too. And I was like, well, if we hadn't locked you in, uh, you know, for for your particular product, rates could be five and a half. Six percent, and the pricing goes up as well. The cost for that rate goes up as well. So, 
you know, you want to be astute. I mean, if you go out to a, a, a mortgage broker, and I, I'm a mortgage broker. I highly recommend people talk to mortgage brokers. Mortgage brokers do more than half of the mortgages across the country. But they have options to, to look at you in a way and say, okay, what is the best investor to take you to? And, and, and some institutions may not have that. They have what's in their closet or what's in their refrigerator. You know, you may want a diet pop, but maybe they don't have diet pop. So they're only going to sell you what they have. Where I look at my organization, we're, we're a smaller organization. We can move quickly. We're nimble. We try to look at it like a concierge service. I, I do less business so that I can spend time with my borrowers and making sure that we're putting them in the best product. And it's, you know, even though we're doing, you know, and that's, and that's by design um, to say, hey, this is the amount of business that we can handle and give that service to our, not just the service that the client needs, but also making sure that they're aligned properly with the right mortgage product for them. So what, uh, if uh, you're, let's say a 21-year-old, 21 to get out of college, right? 21? So if your 21-year-old self is sitting across from you, and then I'll, I'll ask another question of if another, how about if a 30-year-old, 30, just turned 30, uh, if your 30-year-old was sitting across from you, what, what would you tell him? I would say, you're, you know, one of your, part of your short-term goals, you know, you sit down and you do your goals, it's making sure that home ownership is part of that. Uh, and if you don't have that uh, part of your short-term goals, I think that's problematic. Um, so I would say as a 21-year-old, you know, you know, you want to make sure you got safety and employment. Make sure you like what you're doing, you know, because the younger generation now are moving around quicker, you know. Uh, uh, they're moving around. They got this job. They want to try something different. So just make sure you got safe employment, that you discover what you like and, and, and the type of work you like to do. A 30-year-old, you know, I always tell my kids, I have four of them, um, and I tell them the 20s is for grinding. You know, your college years, your work years, your master years, your, your self-investment. If you make that self-investment, uh, you know, it'll start, you know, late 20s, it'll start promotions and job opportunities. And, you're, you know, and in your 30s, you're, you know, you're able to attract different work, more money, and things of that nature, right? So I would say both of those, their minds should be set on becoming a homeowner. Period. I mean, I mean, I could, I would debate that against anyone. You know, I would go, you know, for what I said earlier, it is the American dream. You know, buying a house. I mean, it's the singular most important thing that, that a young person can do, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. You know. Yeah, I agree. I, I, and also, you know, so I'll ask uh, one last question. Mm -hmm. If you could have a, and I'm taking this one from uh, Tim Ferriss, so I apologize. <laughs> but thank you. Shout out to Sim Ferris. Uh, but if I can do one of those, uh, if you could have, um, if you could have a massive billboard and everybody in the world can see it, what message would you give? <laughs> if it would, it would simply say, "Property is power." Period. You know, I would say. You know, I defined that earlier. You know, home ownership is key, man. Property is power. You know, you know, this is thing that you young people do. Live your best life, and I'll, I'll see some of the social media <laughs> posts. And I, I'll see these young people out drinking or eating a steak or 
drinking bourbon that I couldn't afford when, you know, when I was that age. And I think like, that's not really living your best life, you know, um, living your best life. I would define that as being the best you can be and, and, and seizing opportunities that you have in this wonderful country that we have, uh, and seizing opportunities with definitely making sure that home ownership is on your, on your list. And I have a daughter that just bought a house a couple years ago. Uh, man, it's been two years and her and her husband, they make great money and, and they just wasn't aligned with that. They wanted to rent and, you know, we would talk back and forth and now they feel it's one of the best things that they've ever done is own a home. Um, you know, it's yours, you know, it's your, you know, it's, it's, it's an amazing feeling and, you know, why make a landlord richer? You know, why, why, you know, I mean, I own real estate. I mean, yeah. apartments too, but you get my point, but why, well, it's, you know, it's a certain scenario, right? So yeah. there's there's people who are, uh, say for the example, travel nurses, right? Uh, they're going to be renting more often, right? That's part of their lifestyle. Whereas a family or somebody who's established, well, or getting established in their career, and they need a home. You know, it depends on lifestyle. Yeah, it really does. you're right. It depends on uh, on, left, on on lifestyle. And I have a son who is. Uh, his girlfriend is a travel nurse, and he's working from home, traveling all over the country. And they have no – right now they just want to travel the world and as a travel nurse. I'm, and I'm talking domestically. Uh, and then settle down and, and buy a home, you know. So I'm like, hey, you know, I guess that if that's part of your definition of living your best life, at least they're saying the right things that we will become – homeowners because if they don't then he's you know he's gonna be out of my will (laughs) (laughs) awesome awesome that's awesome so uh last question is i guess all right fine i lied okay so i got one more question that's all right i didn't Uh, believe you the first time (laughs) how about this where where uh where can everybody find you yeah you know you could call my office can i get my number Yep, okay, uh, it's 313-263-6388. Um, I highly recommend everyone just go to kellumloans.com, uh, and that's K-E-L-L-U-M-L-O-A-N-S.com. Uh, it's kellumloans.com. Uh, you can Google Kellum Mortgage. Go right to my site. You can click apply. Um, you know, If you've got any questions, call me. You can email me. So, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm trying to, at my old age, I'm trying to be one of those techie guys, make it easy for people, right, where they can just go online, um, you know, pose questions, fill out an application, awesome. um, and go from there. Yeah. Yep. So, kellumloans.com. Awesome, awesome. Well, thank you so much for uh, for taking the time to, to have a conversation with me. Mike, thank you for having me. I, I'm enjoying this. I hope it's beneficial to your your. What are you up to now? 50 million uh, <laughs> listeners across the world? No, thanks, Mom. I appreciate the four <laughs> followers I have. <laughs> but uh, but uh, thank you. I really appreciate what you're doing and, uh, and how you're going about this. It's been great. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you.